We're going to kind of jump back in where Dan was. So if you want to go to Jeremiah 29, glory to God. Isn't he so good? I enjoy it so, so much when the praise and worship team gets up and they sing stuff right along line with, with what I've been studying. And then the offering comes along and I really like it if they use my scripture. I just think it's neat. For me, it just goes, praise the Lord. There's at least two of us that think this is where we're going. <laughs> so, glory to God. Jeremiah 29, 11. In the NIV. And we're going to go 11, 12, and 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. And a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Glory to God. I like that. Anytime I feel like things just aren't quite right, that I'm not hearing just right. I remind myself of that because, you know, sometimes for me, I'll get off and busy with 10 or 15 different things and, and I won't take the time to stay and to draw as close as I need to draw to God. And so I get off and then all of a sudden I'm off there and I kind of feel like I'm alone. And I can go back to scriptures like this and a few others and go, all I got to do is stop. Focus on God, and he'll draw nigh unto me. Amen? He'll hear me. How many of you have ever just been down and started talking about the names of God? You want to bring an anointing in the room. You just start going, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Glory to God. You just start worshiping Him, and He'll come join you wherever you're at. He loves you so much. Matter of fact, that's what the title of this is today. God loves you this much. He had a plan for you. From the foundation of the world, He had a plan. If you look at that verse in... Uh, 29.11 in the message, it says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Verse 14 says, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Isn't that great? The creator of the universe was thinking of you. When he was forming the earth, when he was scattering stars out across the atmosphere, and he was calling them by name, and he appointed different light, different power for each and every star, and every one of them he knows intimately. He has a working knowledge of every star, what he put it there what abilities it has, how bright it's going to shine, who it's going to minister to. And when he was doing that, 
he had you on his mind. He knew one day you were going to step out and you were going to look up and need to know that he's there and you can look up in the night sky and you see star after star. So much so it was a sign for Abraham because he didn't know how many kids he'd have. His wife was barren. But God gave him a sign like the sands of the seashore, like the stars in the sky. And one day I was at the house in Branson, and I was talking about how big God is. And I was just walking around. It was probably 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. And I was outside in my driveway walking around, and I was just praising the Lord. And I was like, glory to God. Lord, you're so big. And I was looking at the stars and I was going, glory to God, look at all of these stars. And the Lord reminded me, I carry binoculars in my truck all the time, part of growing up in the country. And uh, you got to see what's out there because you may want to be over there by it. And uh, so I reached in the truck and I pulled out my binoculars and the Lord said, just magnify it a little bit. And so I put binoculars up and I looked out. And there was thousands more stars than what I could see. And it was just ten times what I was looking at with my eyes. And he's like, oh, I'm bigger than that. Just think how our, our astronomers, they go through days and weeks hunting and searching and mapping out. And every time they can magnify and they think there's a void, a star appears in it. Because our God's word is still going forth. When he spoke it into existence for eternity, it just keeps creating, keeps making, keeps building. That's the plan he has for you. He spoke you into existence in your mother's womb. He formed you there and he had a plan and a purpose for you. And he spoke it over you. And if you'll get out of the way, it'll just keep growing in you. It'll just keep working in you and it'll just keep getting bigger and stronger and better every day. Glory to God. He is absolutely amazing. So what can keep that from happening? Why don't we all walk out the perfect will of God? As I was studying, I was looking at my life. And I was looking at all of the stuff that I started doing. And I started growing in. And then there was a void in there where I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to do. And I got to looking at it. And I got to thinking about it. And I asked myself, why? Why did I quit Walking exactly the way I, I saw in my head. Why did I, did I stumble and stagger? Why did I separate myself for a period of time from the plan of God for my life? I grew up in church. I don't ever remember not being in church. My grandparents on one side were charter members of a couple of churches. And my grandpa was a pastor as long as I ever knew him. My dad's a pastor. My little brothers and sisters are... Our sister are in ministry. I don't ever know anything else. And whenever I was a youth 
And I was in a teen, teen class. We shifted teachers around for a while and nothing really seemed to materialize. It just didn't seem to go well. And I wanted all my friends to know this that I had grown up in. And they all had questions and it seemed to me like the adults couldn't answer them right. And so one time they, the teacher that was there, she's like, well, why don't you just ask questions? Well, they started asking. There was four or five of us in there. And questions started coming out. And the answers that came, they were probably perfectly correct. But for me, I didn't relate. And so the Lord helped me and I, I would try to answer and I would try to help and and God would give me an answer and the scripture it went with. And so in a period of time, I started getting to help teach that class. And before long, there was 40 or 50 of the youth that were in my school that were there every week. And it was just open. It was just question and answer. And I told them, I said, guys, I won't know all the answers. But if you ask it and we can't find it, I'll go to my grandpa and we'll look it up this week. And next week, I'll try to have you an answer. And so Wednesday night, we had youth and we had lots of people there. And then I went away to college and I drove back and forth every Wednesday to help with that class. And then I quit going as often. And then I quit going and then I quit completely. And I got tied up in some other stuff and I kind of stepped away from that. And so I was looking back and I was like, why? And then it hit me. When I didn't go, I got condemned. And whenever I didn't go for a couple of weeks, it made it even harder to go back. And then I'd get so condemned and so guilty, I would go back just because I felt bad and I needed to go and I couldn't help anybody when I got there. Because I was so beaten down from within, I couldn't lift anybody else up. And so I started looking at that and my life changed and spiraled from there. And I got farther and farther away from God, not because I didn't know who He was, not because I didn't know what He told me and what He called me to do, but because I was so ashamed, so embarrassed, so condemned on the inside that I just didn't want to be around anybody that might see it. And so I hid myself with other people. And I tried to be in a different group because they didn't know anything about God. They didn't know anything about me or the way I grew up or that what the scripture said. And every time they'd say and do something, the word of the Lord would still come to me. And I would still know <laughs> chapter and verse of what I was doing and what they were doing that was wrong. But I was still so embarrassed. And so ashamed that I didn't want to go back. I still went to Sunday to keep mom and dad happy. I still did stuff around the church and I still helped. But inside, I was empty. Because the fear, the embarrassment, being ashamed of what I knew and not doing it, started separating me from the plan of God for my life. 
And so it was a period of time that, that I just didn't seem to do everything just right. And every time I would do it, I could still hear the voice of the Lord. He never left me. Not one moment did he leave me. He was always there. He always told me the plan. He always kept me informed and in the loop. And I almost always got, if you do that, this is going to happen. You know what? It did. <laughs> Pretty much every time. I would start to do something stupid. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit inside me, we'd go, that's not going to work out well. Oh, yeah, yeah, it'll be okay. Everybody else is doing this. Yeah. Not for me. And it would go bad. And it would go bad quick. Have you ever looked at somebody? <laughs> Tell on me. Have you ever looked at somebody that was just blatantly ignorant about the Word of God? And it was like they could put their hand on the stove 900 times and it never burn them. And you just see them blatantly going against the plan and the will of God and blatantly going against all of the commandments and, and nothing happening. And I remember going, Hello? <laughs> Lord, do you not see this? And then I step out and he goes, I wouldn't do that. And I step out and bam, what he told me would happen the first time would happen. And I'm like, Lord, they've done this 900 times that I know of. And all of a sudden, judgment came. Well, it was the mercy of the Lord on those people. They had no clue if God would have punished them. They wouldn't have had any idea what it was for. It's kind of like a child when they have no clue what they did was wrong and you punish them, they just think you're mean. They got no idea why this happened. I don't know what I did. And this punishment came and that's what happened to these people. They went week after week, year after year. Some of them probably still in that that never got light on it. And the mercy of God sustained them, kept them safe, kept them going day after day, week after week, year after year, because no matter what they've done, He loved them so much and still does that His plan is still hovering out there. His plan still waiting, waiting, Waiting for that one moment like Saul of Tarshish when he cried out, Lord, he's waiting because he loves them that much. And he loves you that much. And he's waiting and he'll tell you 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 and it's like he never, ever, ever gets tired because he loves you so much he'll go oh let's don't do that that's not going to work well and you do it again and his voice doesn't change it doesn't get irritated or aggravated oh no let's don't do that it's not going to work well hey let's don't do that it's not going to work well that's the love of god for us 
he'll tell you over and over and over. I look back at all of the dumb stuff that I did once in a while. Have you guys ever had that um, Satan-induced video player? (laughs) You're going along pretty good, and then all of a sudden, you got a big screen of your life, and there's nothing good on it. You can change the channel and change the thought, and it's bad and bad and worse and bad and, oh, wow, and... And it's just video after video after video of the dumb stuff that Rob did. And the enemy will play it and play it. And you'll go, no, no, no. I repented for that. Oh, yeah, but what about this? And it'll come up. Oh, no, I repented for that too. It's gone. Well, what about this? Well, I repented. Well, what about that? And until you can capture your mind and capture your thoughts, that video plays endlessly until you go, no. And sometimes you've got to do it loud and get rid of it. Because if you're meager with it and you're milly mouth with it, it'll just keep playing. And weeks and months will pass and everybody will start going, are you okay? Are you feeling good? You're just not yourself. You just, there's just something not the same. Yeah, the joy of the Lord left you. Because you watched video after video of the mully grubs of your life. And you allowed it to continue and go until you walk out and you've got nothing. Somebody comes up, could you help me? And you go, yeah. Because there's nothing good in you. There's nothing good out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whatever we focused on, whatever we thought, whatever the enemies we've allowed him to play in our life, whenever that comes out, they're going, oh, wow, I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to somebody different. Because nobody wants to hear the groanimony of your life. Nobody wants, they're already dealing with stuff. That's why so many of the guys that I hung out with did not want to go to church. They did not want to be there. Because they felt worse when they walked out than they did when they went in. They felt more condemned, more convicted, more outcast when they came out of the love of God than when they walked in the building. I don't want to be that way. I have been. <laughs> it may have been to one of you. Forgive me. There's times in our life when we just need people to build us up. We don't need a long description. Dan and I worked on this and we drove all over trying to find this and do this because we didn't have any idea where anything was around here. And we cried and cried and cried over and over and over and over and over because we would get to talking and building each other up and realize just how blessed we are, realize just how good God was to us, that he let two people like Dan and Rob come down here and be a part of something so huge we're not going to for years And eons and decades see how awesome 
this is. How great the work of God is. You know, Ananias, when he went to Saul of Tarshish, I don't think he had any idea what Paul would do. What his life would mean. How many millions of people he would touch. He just knew the word of the Lord came to him. Told him to go over and tell him because he was blind and he needed to see. So he went over and he delivered the message and the scales fell off his eyes. And shortly thereafter we had Paul, the apostle. The man of God. The one who traveled and was beaten and was persecuted beyond what I can even fathom. And it was because of a work that Ananias, a meager little man who was scared of Saul and God had to build him up and encourage him and tell him before he would even go and and see him. And Ananias has a part of every page that Paul wrote of every life that Paul touched, of every healing that came by the Scripture, every message that went out on the Internet, every time somebody talks about Paul and glorifies God in it, Ananias has a credit go up on his account. Glory to God. And he's receiving reward for that one act for eternity. That is the plan he has for us. That if we'll just affect the person that day that we're supposed to affect. If we'll just go to the place we're supposed to go to that day. At that moment, God will make all of it work out. He said, I've, I've got a plan. I've got it under control. <laughs> I've got a little sign that was over my desk. It says, good morning, this is God. I'll be handling all your affairs today. I won't need your help. (laughs) We just got to walk out what he tells us. (laughs) Glory to God. He's already got the plan. He's got it figured out. We just have to step into it and do what he says. Go to Romans chapter 8. Verse 1 in the King James says, Therefore, there is, therefore, now, no, none, absolutely not even a smidgen of condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Have you ever looked up like what the law does? Dan was talking about traffic lights. Now you can drive through an intersection a million times in a row and obey every law. You don't get a letter in the mail telling you how good a driver you are. You don't get a pat on the back for being a good person and obeying the laws of the land. You never even hear from the law. And then when you go through it and you don't obey the law, all of a sudden you run head on into the law. 
The law shows you your faults. The law convinces you and convicts you and condemns you of your sin. That's why Jesus came. All throughout the ages before, they would come in every year and have to put a sacrifice in and remind themselves of all of their sins. Relive it. There was a man one time, I heard of this incident. A drunk driver hit a child and killed him. And the court wanted this huge punishment on this man. And the family said, no, we love him. We don't want him to do that. We just want them to remember our son. And so they said, we don't want anything except if he could just mail us $1 a month. Put it in an envelope, mail us $1 a month. Within two years, that man was begging and pleading to go to prison because the remembrance of all of that every month after month after month he had to relive getting drunk driving a car seeing the child not being able to stop hitting the child seeing them on the road seeing the parents and the paramedics and the emotions and all of the stuff that went along with it every month it reminded him of every fault that he had in that event. And within just a few years, he was begging, just send me to prison. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to learn about it. I don't want to know anything about it. Just send me, put me away, kill me. I don't care. I can't think and dwell on that every month. I can't go on. But the law did that to our forefathers. It brought up every sin Every year. Every time they did something, they had a sacrifice they had to do. They had to do this and they had to do that. And every year, they had to go back and sacrifice to roll that sin over for another year. But when Jesus came, He paid it once and for all. And He said He would never, ever bring it up. That's why that video screen is Satan-induced. The God that I love and I serve said, I will never ever bring that up to you. I will never recall it to your memory. And every time I come to him and I go, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. Because, you know, the last time I did this and he's like, you did what? I don't recall that. Who told you you did that? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Who told you you were naked? Who did that? I didn't tell you you were naked. Why all of a sudden do you have a thought that you're naked? Why do you have a thought that you're separated from me? Why do you have a thought that you're no longer worthy? Why do you have all of these thoughts that I took care of? It's because the enemy, he's the one that accuses the brethren, that brings up the law. He's the defense attorney. And his whole job is to keep screaming, Guilty! Look! Guilty! Look! Guilty! Look! Guilty! And he accuses the brethren day and night. That's why it's so awesome that we have an advocate. 
And every time he screams guilty, Jesus, the Son of God, you're in my brother. He steps over and he goes, innocent by my blood. Innocent by what I did. Innocent, I took that. I paid the price for that. They no longer have to. Glory to God. Go on down to verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, the enemy wants you to dwell and think upon all the lame brain things you did. He wants you to think about how unworthy. He wants you to sing that song, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Praise the Lord. I sang that song. We traveled and sang that song. (laughs) Glory to God. Thank you for light. We thought that was great. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Didn't know any better. But I'm no longer an old sinner. I am, through Christ, the righteousness of God. And I can come and I can stand boldly right in front of God, my Father. And I can talk and commune with Him and and I can ask Him for stuff. And I can believe Him for stuff. And the only time my prayer's hindered is whenever I get back off on carnally minded. Brother Copeland, (laughs) he said, uh, he said, don't be a meathead. He said, that's scripture. Carney and minds in your head. So don't be carnally minded. Don't be a meat head. So when he gets us off on that, death begins to work its work. The moment we get carnally minded, we get to thinking about our flesh and our stuff, and we get the Rob show going. Death immediately starts working in my life. It doesn't take hours or days or weeks. It's immediate. They took some uh, athletes one time. And they took them and they brought them in. And the healthiest ones, they took them in and they gave them a physical. And they brought them out and they just suggested that they needed to come back in for some more tests. There was something just wasn't quite right. They just needed them to come back in for more tests. That seed almost killed some of them. They were some of the strongest, healthiest, scientific specimens of of a human being. Athletes in the top of the field. And the thought that something might not be right and they needed to come back for tests, they missed practice that next week. Some of them, they had to bring the physicians in and tell them, we did this for a test and a study. There's nothing wrong with you. And it took days and days and days of telling them this was a hoax. We just wanted to see what it would do to your mind to have that seed planted in there. 
And one of them almost died because of it. Because the thought that something might be wrong was more than he could handle. And he dwelled on it to the point that his body shut down immediately. And within weeks, he was about to die. That's why the enemy wants to control your thoughts. <laughs> that was the other scripture. He, the song, he didn't give us the spirit of fear. He gave us a sound mind. We have authority over it. Glory to God. <laughs> the message in chapter 6, verse 7, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 7 in the message of Romans says, Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God, and that person ignores who God is and what he's doing. Glory to God. Go to verse 28 of Romans 8. 28. Thank you. Let's go to the King James in that. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Have you ever just stopped and thought, Why am I here? What exactly am I supposed to do? Why did God put me here? Why did God put me there? All of those thoughts can bring doubt. It's good to know the will of God. It's not good to dwell upon what we don't know. So go back. I catch myself more than I would like to catch myself thinking about that, going... What, what am I supposed to do? What, what can I do? What can I... And, and the enemy will play four things and I'll get to thinking, well, how can I help somebody? Look at that. <laughs> and I'm talking about the TV show that the enemy's playing of my life and all the dumb things and, and the enemy's going, see, you can't help anybody. You can't bless anybody. Look at all the dumb things you did. You can't help and after you listen to it for very long, you start wondering, well, Lord, why am I here? Lord, how come all these other people, they do this way better than I do? Like Moses, Aaron, he's, he's slick. He can talk. You should have Aaron. You don't want me. Well, it's been the same tool from the beginning of time. And we have to stop. And God said, if you ask, he'll tell you what his will is. He said if you ask him, he'll show it to you. So we've got to just stop that thought. We've got to arrest it and say, no, God said he would show me the plan. 
He said he had a perfect plan and he's going to give me the next step. He's going to give me the next phase. I don't need to know where I'm going to be 50 years from now. I need to know where I'm going to be in the next 10 minutes. Because now is the only time I can affect somebody's life. I can't affect anybody tomorrow or yesterday. I can't affect anybody 10 minutes ago. I can only affect them right now. God said, I am. Not I will be. Not I was. Right now is the time for God. Now is the time we get to move forward. Now is the time you affect with your thought what happens in the next five minutes. You affect with your thought what the Lord tells you to do in the next few minutes and days and weeks and months and years. And it'll start playing out and it'll be perfectly orchestrated if we just arrest that mind and go, Lord, show me the next step. I don't need to know all of the plan. Have you ever went through (laughs) installing or building or programming something and you look at it and... For me, occasionally, I like to kind of just sit and and read through and skim through the whole thing and it does me no good. Because I don't remember the first 20 steps while I'm reading the 31st. And so I have to stop looking at the big picture and go back to step one. And I have to look at step one and go, okay, step one, do this. Okay, there. Step two, hmm, this. The other day I was doing that, and in the instruction it said, but first, (laughs) after the other instruction, do this, do this, but first, do, I was like, why would you do that to somebody? (laughs) But first, go back to step one. God doesn't do that to you. He gives you that step because that's really all we can handle at that moment. We can really only handle what both hands can do. (laughs) When you're building and working on something, you can't do nine steps at once. You may think you can, but you can't. You still have to do one, two, three, four, right on up the line. So knowing what all 21 steps are isn't really necessary on step one. Glory to God, that's free. (laughs) 29, verse 29, and I want to go back to the message on it. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity. He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives in Christ, in him. I read that in a bunch of different ones, and for me that made the most sense. We see the original and intended shape of our lives in him. You might as well go there. Go to first John or to go to John chapter one.
John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the reason I read that, in the beginning, Adam was in the garden. And in the beginning, Adam knew exactly what God intended. The Bible says that God would come and commune and talk to Adam on his level. God and Adam could actually talk about how the stars were made. Could actually talk about how the earth was formed, how he spoke into existence, what had to take place, the mathematical equations for keeping this star from bumping into this star. Adam could actually talk on God's level. God formed the animals and he brought them to Adam in in Genesis chapter 2, and I think it's verse 19. He formed these animals and he brought them to Adam so Adam could call them by name what they were. And so God formed them and he set them over there and he's, that looks like a duck. And it started quacking and waddling and it walked off. And he formed something else and set it down. And he goes, that looks like a cow. And all of a sudden, it was a cow exactly like you picture it in your mind. And everything that God formed and brought to Adam, Adam named and it became for eternity what he named it. The power and the authority in the man of God, Adam, spoke into eternity what all of these animals would be. Jesus was there when that happened. And then Adam and Eve fell. And Adam and Eve and the the generation of people got away from that knowledge of power, that knowledge of what the perfect plan of God was. They got away from it and over time they became dull and dim and less understanding and less understanding to the point that God sent Jesus not only to pay for all of our sin but also to show us what the perfect plan of God was. You see, in Him was the original plan. So when Jesus came to earth, Jesus came in everything in human form that we're supposed to be. He came with power and authority. He spoke to a fig tree and it wilted and died. He spoke to blind eyes and they opened. He spoke to the lame and they walked. He spoke to the sea and it calmed. He spoke to the wind and it died down. He spoke words out of his mouth. And immediately it came to pass. Because that was the original plan of God for his kids. For you and I. Because he loved us so much. He wanted us to have that power and authority that he gave Adam in the garden. He wanted us to walk it out. He's got a great plan for us. He loves us so much. He's wanting us to get rid of the video player. 
to focus on Him and to realize He clothed us in the righteousness of God. I know I have that somewhere here. Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And as the bride adorneth herself with her jewels. You see, I used to have trouble in my mind's eye, believing I was righteous. I knew 1 John 1, 9. I could, you can put it up so they can see it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I knew it. I used it all the time. I told you earlier that God would tell me what was going on and tell me it would work out bad for me. And I'd go, oh, but I can do it. And then I can confess it and I can get forgiven from it. And maybe it'll be okay. And so I knew it. I heard it. I used it. I abused it. Because it was an out for me. I could confess it and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And I could become righteous. But in my mind, I had trouble figuring out how God could look on me and see righteousness. Until you go back to like the prodigal son. The dad sees him afar off. He's been in the mud pit with the pigs. hes I don't know if any of you have been around pigs. I grew up with a, a lot of pigs. Um, we raised them. And uh, they're just, there's nothing clean. They don't do anything that edifies There's just nothing there that's just pretty and edifying. And so this man went to about the lowest form a Jewish man could be involved in with an unclean animal that they thought was just the filth of the earth, and he's in there wanting to eat with them. That's how far he had got away. And so he comes to himself, and he's like, I know I'm terrible. I know I am lower than low. I know I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my Father. I've sinned against everything and everybody that I've ever known and believed in. But you know I know my dad. And I know if I just go back to him, if I'll just go back, he'll at least give me a servant's position. He'll at least feed me and clean me up. And you know the love of that dad, our God, was so much bigger, so much more than he could ever hope for. Because when he started back, the Word of God said, in a long ways off. A long ways. That's not, oh, look, who came in the gate? That is watching and waiting and longing and looking as far as you can look and watching the horizon for just one shape, one object that might look like my son's coming back. 
I'm going to stand there because I know I love him. I know I want him back. And he's going to come back eventually, and I don't want to miss it. So he's scanning the horizon, and he's watching, and he's doing other stuff. But I, I just picture him every little bit looking up going... And he can't really focus and he can't really do the other stuff because he longs so much in his life for his son to come home. And when he makes it over the horizon and his father sees him a long ways off, it said he ran. Now, I don't know what you vision with that, but men of authority probably didn't run a lot in that lifestyle. They said, hey, go get that, bring it here. I'll be right here when you get it back. That was what they did. And he had houses and cattle and lands, and he was very rich and wealthy, so much so that this son got his share, went out and squandered it, and everybody wanted to be his friend. Well, you can't do that with $5. There had to be wealth in there. And so... His dad was a prominent man. But as soon as he saw his son, he grabbed his robe and he took off at a full run. And he ran to meet him. And his son fell down and he had all of these thoughts of what he's going to say. Oh, I sinned against you. And his dad wouldn't have any of it. He's like, no, 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 get up here and hug me. And then he hollered at the servant, no, no, we don't want anybody to see you like this. I love you so much. Nobody is going to see you the way you are. And so he hugs him and he covers him up and he calls for the robe, the best robe. He calls for the ring. He calls for the sandals. He said, bring all of that out. I'm going to protect him and I'm going to guard him until he's right where everybody can see him in his righteousness. And so he calls for the robe and he wraps him up in this robe. The robe that when he became a man, it was the perfect robe. It was an expensive robe. It was the robe that meant, this is my son. And now that he's got this robe and he walks in the field, everybody out there has to obey him. Because this robe is my son's. This ring means he has all authority. Anything that I say and I command, my son can say and command. He has the same authority I have because I gave him that ring. And so his father wrapped him up in his arms and protected him from the world until the world could see him the way the father saw him. When he showed up, he wasn't clean. He wasn't a man. He was emaciated. He was hungry. He was starving and filthy and downcast and groveling and falling on his knees and saying, Oh, Lord, I've, I've sinned. I've done all of this horrible stuff. But the father still saw him for who he was. The father lifted him up, covered him up because he could see him as the son in all that it stood for, all of the glory, all of the splendor, all of the power, the Son of God. He could see Him in it. And so in that moment of time, He wrapped the righteousness robe around Him. 
he cleaned him up so that everybody else, when he walked into the house, would see nothing except what the father saw. That they would see the son come home in his standing. That's what made the other brother so mad. I don't think he was mad that his brother came back. He wanted his brother to have to grovel for all the stupid things he did. He wanted his brother to have to pay for leaving us and going and doing whatever you want. And then you come back and you think you can walk right in and be this ruler and this son of God that that you were when you left. And so he's angry and he leaves and... The father goes out and he goes, what is wrong? Your your brother, my son, he's back. He's back and I've placed him in his spot. Why does that bother you? And he said, I've always been here. You never gave me anything. How we forget. If you look back in that scripture, it says when the one son asks for stuff, It says he divided it to both. He separated it and he gave his son his share, but he gave the older brother, the other brother, his share also. But now that his brother's back and he's mad, he said, you never gave me even a kid that I could make merry with my friends. You didn't do anything for me. And here this guy goes out, he spends all your money, he does all of this riotous living, has all of these different things and does all of this sin, and you bring him back and you make it like he never did anything. That's what God did with Jesus for you and I. The moment we come before him like Saul and say, Lord, at that moment, he wraps the righteousness robe around you. Doesn't matter what you did. He covers you and protects you. The word says like a hen covering her chicks. He covers you, protects you to the point when you're able to stand on your own and you become a son. Galatians talks about in chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, something like that. It talks about a son, even though he is an heir, is still under tutors. He's still under instructors. Until the time appointed when the father knows he can handle it, and then he becomes a son. That's what God does for us. The moment we come to him, he covers us with his love. He covers us so that nobody sees our faults. So that nobody sees all of the sins and all of the guilt and all of the making you ashamed and embarrassed. Nobody sees that because God loves you so much that he covers you up. And he puts this robe on you. And he puts shoes on your feet. And he gives you the signet ring of the Godhead. And he says, now, you're ready. You're equipped. Go, do my work. And when you walk out, everybody that sees you sees Jesus, the Son of God. Because we put on Christ, his righteousness, his robe. 
Have you ever watched all of those old movies when somebody's trying to sneak around and they're trying to hide or they're trying to do stuff? They take captive the person that they want to be in their position and they put their clothes or their hat or whatever on and the people look at it, they don't see any difference. So they don't know anything at all is going on different. They assume it's that person. Well, demons, devils, every evil work, when you put on righteousness, they assume you are the son of God. They assume you know who you are. They assume until we open our mouth and we say something different, they assume you are Jesus Christ in the flesh walking around on this earth. Glory to God. And until we open our mouth, my daughter, she calls me the confession police. And uh, I, uh, it grieves me when people speak death and dying and Dan can tell you I was probably one of the best at it. When we were working together, probably on or before, or right close to when the church started in Branson, I said that kills me, scares me to death. Can't you guys move any faster? You're killing me here. I probably said that conservatively 30 to 50 times a day. <laughs> it, was, it was almost every thought. What are we doing? You're killing me. What is it going to take all day? What are you doing? Hey, man, that scared me to death. I thought that was going to do this. Man, this did. I said it fluently for years because I didn't know any different. And he showed it to me one day, Dan did. And I was like, really? He goes, you say that all the time. I said, okay. I said, I want to quit. You tell me every time. And he loved me enough that he did it. And so I'd go, man, come on, guys, you're killing me. He goes, you don't look like a corpse. And he'd just keep going. And I'd say something else. He goes, you ain't dead yet. Time after time after time after time, he loved me enough to bring it to my attention to get me to quit. That's what God wants. Until we open our mouth, everybody thinks you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, you're their son. That you know your spot, you know what you have authority in, and until we open our mouth, the game's on. But for me, <laughs> I'd rather you cuss at me than for you to say my family always gets sick in the fall. We always have this. We always have that. I'd lot rather you just cuss. I'd rather you just go, well, blank, 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 blank. Than you to speak all of that over your family, over your life. I would lot rather you just cuss a blue streak. And I don't want you to do that either. But... I would rather you do that. And my daughter, she's seeing more and more of it. And she's catching herself, and I'm endeavoring not to say anything. She sees my eyebrow or something, or she sees the look on my face when she says something. She's like, ah, and, and she'll correct it. But I really try not to. But it grieves me every moment that she does it. 
because every time she speaks death and sickness over herself, I can't protect her in it. That's the way God, our Father, is. Every time we speak, and He's helping me, poverty and lack, sickness and disease, over our life, the enemy is right there to accuse us and to pull the blessing away from our life because we came in agreement with the enemy and not with our Father. And if we'll line our words up, if we'll put on this robe of righteousness, yeah, you may stumble. There isn't a single person that's walking. Well, there might be a single person. The gate beautiful, the cripple man. But there isn't a single person that learned to walk in the natural form that didn't stumble and fall trying to do it. That's why I like that story so much. He was crippled from birth and they grabbed his hand, raised him up and immediately his legs and ankle bones took strength and he walking and leaping praised God. He didn't have to go through learning how to use the muscles. The power of God captivated his body. And in that moment, his mind and his legs and every nerve and every muscle and every tendon and every joint worked perfectly from that moment on. And he, jumping up, walked and leaped and praised God. So it can happen. I know of at least one. But for most people, they stumble and fall. And they stumble and fall. And then they go a little farther. But until they learn, they keep going. Now, as a parent, you don't want them to stop. You don't want to focus on them stumbling. You don't want to focus on the fall. You want to focus on the step they had right before the fall. That's what God's wanting to do with us. He has a plan for us. He loves us so much. From the foundation of the world, He formed and thought of you and created you in your mother's womb and brought you out and, and nurtured you and grew you up into who you are for the assignment He's got for you. Yours may not be to stand up in front of people and talk. Until I, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I wouldn't talk in front of nobody. When we were traveling and singing, I held my mic right here. And they'd push me in the back if I had a, a solo line until I'd step up. <laughs> and I'd sing my little line and put my mic back down and get back real quick. <laughs> and if you played the video, which they did regularly, real fast, I, I was just doing this. <laughs> because the rest of me didn't move. But when the Lord filled me full and overflowing with His Holy Spirit, freedom came on me. Fear left me. And all I could think about was being able to help somebody else. Being able to speak a word into somebody's life and it change them from the inside out. To be able to see them hurt and put a band-aid on it. I didn't realize what that was in me. But as soon as I was able, I lifeguarded. I worked quick response. I worked 
uh, first aid and CPR and rode in an ambulance. And I, for a season, I couldn't figure out what that was. But it was this desire in me to when I see somebody hurt to want to fix it. It was this God-given desire to help whoever's hurting. And I never saw it for a long time. And so I just migrated to jobs that everybody else ran from. When a shark's in the water, most people leave. We go to it. When the fire's in the house, most people leave. We go to make sure everybody's out. You want to help so much that you'll sacrifice you for somebody else. You'll give up everything you have for somebody else. When the seas are nasty and somebody goes out and they're not supposed to and they get caught in it and they're horrible. And you're experienced and, and you're having trouble getting there to the point that you're, there's fear coming on you, trying to overtake you, trying to get to somebody that was ignorant enough to go out in it. And you're risking your life to help them so they can have another chance. So they can have another opportunity. That is what God put in all of us. That's what he told us to do. Go preach the good news. Give them opportunity. If they're hurting, heal the sick. Make the blind see. Cause the lame to walk. If anything deadly is out there, it won't come against you. Because I got my hand on you. I'm going to protect you. He assigned us to it. And for years I didn't understand it. But I migrated to being a lifeguard, to fighting fires, to riding in ambulances, to wanting to be the first one there because I was confident that if anybody could help them, God would show me how. And if I could just be the first one and there was just a little chance, it would come out okay. And it's still what we do today. We come here and we believe God for the words to come out. We want them to be eloquent. We want them to flow out and you to enjoy them. But ultimately, I want you if you're hurting, to know the God I know, to know the love that he has for you, to understand that from the foundation of the world, he gave his son everything for you to have another chance. He gave all he had for you, even if we did dumb things and we spoke against him for years, just that one opportunity of seeing you crest the horizon and he's going to run to you and put a righteous robe on you. And he's going to say, come on back. Join with us. Your place is still here. Nobody can take it. Nobody can fill your void. Come back. Join us. 
be my son again. Would you all stand with me? There's a verse I thought I had. It's what you get for having all these papers all mixed up and you don't really follow them. In the Message Bible, Romans 8 and 35. Let's do 35 in the King James. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perils or the sword? Now go to the message, verse 37. Hmm, it may not be in the message. What does the King James say in that? There we go. We'll stay in it. It says, Nay. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thirty-eight in the message. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. 
Glory to God. That is the love of God. Absolutely nothing can snatch you out of His hand. (laughs) Do you have something? Go ahead. Yes, Jesus loves